We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John, which if you've been around uh, the church for any length of time, we've been working our way verse by verse through the Gospel of John for the last uh, year and a half, and we'll actually hit kind of the end of the Gospel of John and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, which is um, coming up here pretty soon. Um, and I did plan it that way. So if you're like, how did that happen? Yes, I did plan it so that we would land on the resurrection in a few weeks here, which we're really excited. Uh, in the meantime, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 19, verse 25. It's about 80% of the way through your Bibles if you're new to Scripture, and there are always Bibles in the back. If you don't own a Bible, um, you can always grab one of those and take it and keep it home and make it your own. Many of you knew that I... I grew up in what I would describe as an atheist family, so I didn't own a Bible or open the Bible or know anything uh, about any of that until I was in my early 20s, and I, embarrassing confession, I still don't really know the order of the books of the Bible. Someone's like, turn to Malachi, and I'm like, oh, dang it, I'm like going to the, yeah, table of contents will save you. So uh, we're about 80% of the way through the Bible. John is one of four uh, writers first-hand writers in the first century who were uh, there or they either saw it directly or interviewing eyewitnesses to these things that Jesus of Nazareth has done and said. Interestingly enough, Jesus himself did not write anything, um, but instead he said others are going to you know, see and write these things down and testify about me. So it's actually the testimony of the people around him that we have, which is actually, I think, more reliable than if he had written a book himself and said, this is the way things are. Instead, we have eyewitnesses to uh, who he was, to what he said, to what happened to him. And John was one of those eyewitnesses. We are now most of the way through the account of the, the life, the ministry, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And at this point, Jesus is on the cross. He uh, has been nailed to the cross. And in his own words, he says, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. The world is an open rebellion against God, but I'm going to reconcile the, wor- the world back to myself by sacrificing myself, by taking the sin of the world into my own body, and then taking our place for our sin, being nailed to the cross, so that um, all the things that uh, naturally, consequentially would have happened to us now happen to Jesus in- instead. God takes on every, all of the, the um, punishment, all of the shame, all of the, the death uh, that flows out of sin. He said, I'm going to take all of that on myself uh, so that those who trust in me, who come under the power of the cross, uh, judgment will pass over them. They will not have to um, suffer any of those things. So he's uh, now dying um, in our place for our sin, and they're uh, we spent the last two Sundays talking about that and what's happening there and what Jesus is doing. Realistically, uh, we could spend almost every Sunday talking about that and not really exhaust the full mystery of the cross and all the, the multifaceted beauty of what's going on there. Uh, but this is, this is one of the things that's happening in and through the cross is what we'll be exploring this morning, uh, picking up in John 19, verse 25. So uh, he's on the cross. He hasn't died yet. And Jesus doesn't, it's not like he's having conversations on the cross, but he does make a series of statements uh, while he's there and dying in our place. And this is one of the things that happens while he's there. Uh, Verse 25, it says, near the cross where Jesus is dying, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, uh, that's John's way of referring to himself, which I, it's, it, in context, it's actually humble, but to us, it does not sound humble. Uh, it, we'll unpack that another Sunday. But the disciple whom Jesus loved is the author, John. He's attempting to write himself out of the account. Um, and, and then, and this is what he says to them. He said to her, his, his biological mother, he says, woman, here is your son, referring to John, one of the disciples. And the disciple, he said, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray. Jesus, 
we honor you in this place, Lord. We praise you and will continue praising you that the basis of life with God, that the basis of our acceptance, that the basis of the eternal life that we will get to experience is you. Uh, It's the cross. It's what you're doing here. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that that would um, truly be the center of our lives. It's the center of the biblical storyline, which is our story. But I pray, Lord, uh, both sort of um, theological, theologically or in concept, but also practically and in life, that the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, uh, the things we celebrate, the way we praise you, the way we choose to live, that all of it would flow out of, out of this, out of what's happening at the cross. And so as we come to you this morning, Lord, would you continue to teach us as the master teacher? Would you continue to heal us as the master physician? As we talk about family today, Lord, oh man, we don't have time to unpack uh, the wounds that are present in this room. To just say the word family, to just refer to you as father, uh, for some people is just freedom, and for other people, it's a a strange mix of emotions. Because of the earthly fathers we had, because of the only taste we've had of family, and um, Lord, the amount of dysfunction that we bring to the table is unbelievable. Um, And yet at the same time, we see you enthroned above all of those things. As the one who heals, as the one who replaces lies with truth, as the one who replaces, uh, trades life uh, for death and and brings us uh, up to the place where you are. So Lord, would you uh, breathe afresh on us? Would you continue to um, heal and to help us unpack and leave behind some of the unhelpful baggage that we have when it comes to some of the the things we'll be exploring today, and would you continue to draw us closer to you and to one another uh, in the short years that we have here before we step into eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross, he does something with uh, his mother and one of his disciples that is both um, sort of profound and theological, but also incredibly practical as well. One of the things that we have to grasp, so anytime we come to Scripture, we're actually having a cross-cultural experience. It was really fun for me to be in South Africa these last two weeks, interacting with people from all over the world. Uh, there, was only, there were only a few other Americans there that I even had the chance to interact with. So almost everyone I'm interacting with over the last two weeks um, it's a constant series of cross-cultural interactions, right? That we're, we're coming from sort of different um, subcultures, different worldviews, and, and learning from each other. Well, anytime any of us opens up Scripture, we're having a cross, cross-cultural experience. We're, we're um, reading about things that happen through a, a people group and a time and a place that none of us belong to. Uh, and so the context and, and uh, history of that culture becomes very important in us understanding what is the Bible actually saying? What is the significance of these events? So as one very small example of that, in uh, the ancient Middle East, where or the ancient Near East, where, this is un, where these events are unfolding, uh, they didn't have government support programs. They didn't have 401ks. They didn't have uh, a lot of the things that we have in place. There's no social security. There's nothing like that. So your um, security as you grow older, and this is still true in many parts of the world, uh, your, your security, your, your source of care and income is your children. And, as, and particularly as a son, uh, at this point, uh, Jesus' um, sort of ad- adopted biological father is dead. So his uh, mother, Mary, is going to be relying directly on her children and in particular on her sons. Uh, in order to survive, in order to be taken care of into her old age. And yet, because of the uniqueness of the call on the life of Jesus, he knows, hey, at this age, we think he's about um, 33 uh, at this point. He says, I know I'm, I'm going to, uh, this is my hour. My hour has come. I'm here to sacrifice my life uh, for the sins of the world. 
And so he knows I have a unique call in my life. I'm going to die. But I had this obligation to take care of my mother because of the role that I play uh, in the family as this as the son, as this firstborn son uh, for his uh, widowed mother. And so part of what he's doing here is um, filling that gap in a bit of saying, I, I want uh, somebody, I'm asking you, John, in my absence to take care of my mother, to play the role within the family that I would have had to play for her. Uh, so you can see even as he's dying in a very agonizing way that he's actually thinking of others and providing for others. And hey, what, what's the gap I'm going to leave um, as I go? And so in that sense, it's something that is um, small and particular to Mary and very practical. But at the same time, as we um, place this, this, uh, these verses within the whole context of Scripture, we see he's actually speaking of something very profound as well that each one of us comes from a, a background of uh, rebellion and being at odds with God and being an enemy of God. And through the cross, we are um, brought in. We're, we're reconciled to God. But the scriptures say in the process, you're reconciled to one another. So you can imagine if there was, you know, if you could literally see the cross 100 yards away and you were walking out of darkness toward the light of the cross, the closer you got to the cross, the more you'd realize, oh, there's people coming from every other direction, and I'm actually drawing closer to them as well. That, that it's not purely a just me and God thing, that no, I, I'm actually, my relationship with God is changing, and as a result, the relationship with people to my right and my left who are also coming under the power of the cross is profoundly changed as well. And scripture talks about this in many different ways, but one of the consistent themes is that of adoption. That, that Jesus called God his father, which actually would have been very odd uh, in the first century for many reasons, but it was, it was familiar. No, he's, he's my father, and now through me, you are adopted in. Well, adopted into what? It's, it's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not a, it's not a social movement. You're, you're adopted into the family. You, you are transformed into a son or a daughter in the power of the cross. And so there's a sense that as we draw near to the cross as individuals, we begin to hear that same voice of Jesus saying, Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Um, sister, here is your brother. Brother, here are new sisters. And we all start getting woven in, adopted in to the same family of God. And so what we want to do is just take some time this morning to explore that concept, uh, this reality that God reconciles us to himself, that we're set free from the power of Satan, sin, and death. But it's not just, we have to fully grasp what we're being set free from and also what we're being welcomed into. I'm free from this set of things uh, that was true, of, that, was, that dominated my life before, but, but now uh, there, there's the flip side of what am I being welcomed into through that process. Um, and so I've asked a few people to join me this morning as we discuss this concept of family and a family that is formed at the foot of the cross. So if you're on that panel, you can go ahead and uh, make your way up here. And we're going to take a few minutes to sort of explore uh, some of these concepts together uh, as a family, as it were. Uh, so I'm going to give that one to you. You can start in any order that you want to. And I just have two questions that I'm going to ask to sort of get our discussion moving. And uh, since everyone won't know you, maybe the first time you respond, you could just share, you know, your name and uh, whatever else you'd want to. Uh, but the first question that I want us to discuss is, is this. What are the um, theological implications of being part of a new family that was formed at the cross? Um, sort of why does that matter? What difference does that make? Uh, how, how should we conceive of that? So, Diana, you're holding the mic. Maybe if you want to share some thoughts first. I'm Diana Walters, and I'm... I'm here, and I, <laughs> our computer, um, the word, Microsoft Word, is out of date. So I used my junior high method, and Matt, you're a junior high teacher, 
And uh, so I've got pa pencil and paper, line paper here, so please bear with me as I turn the pages. So I just, I just kind of want to reiterate how wonderful it is that even at the very end, um, Jesus cared for his mother. I'm a mother. And for my children to care for me at the end, I know Kelly's dad, Tracy's here today, and his kids have just been wonderful at caring for him and his mother, um, or Tracy's wife. But anyway, I just love that. And, and you know, Jesus had just spent the Last Supper the night before, um, or somewhere in there. You just sort of hold the mic here. Close to your chin. The night before, okay, <laughs> and um, she reminded everyone who he was, you know, and that he was not, all those disciples, he was not going to leave them alone. He was going to send the Holy Spirit and, to be with them, and that he prayed for people that would believe in Jesus through them, who would also get to experience the Holy Spirit and that unity. Um, um, John was there, the Apostle John, and in my mind, Mary was there too, and I think she was. Some of us have been watching The Chosen. It's pretty cool, and the women are definitely a part of um, Jesus's life, but I think Mary was there. Um, and so this is something that Kelly and I mused about or just kind of wondered, how much influence did Mary have on John? as she lived with him, as he wrote his gospel. Um, you know, they, um, well, even before I go any further, I think there's themes that I feel as we talk about family of God, and um, one, obviously family, but to belong and to be together with people, not to be alone. And, uh, but together, they grieved in front of the cross, and those three, those dark days of before resurrection, and then they together delighted in resurrection. Probably together they were in the upper room 40 days later and were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they got to experience that together. Um, they navigated the birth of the new church together and, um, and the hardship, persecution, the scattering of their friends and beloved people. But then they lived everyday life together. I mean, they ate meals together. They bumped into one another. They did housework. They remember Jesus. They talked about Jesus and, and their experiences. And so, um, and then remembering so that John could record this gospel that we've been in for the last year and a half, you know, and it's, and it, it's pretty cool. Um, John's gospel is different than the other gospel, right? It's more um, poetic and in creative and you know it doesn't just tell stories but there's just this deep deep understanding of course he wrote it 50 years later you know that's when it was written but just think of all the life they had lived together and with the brothers and sisters of the faith so anyway so there's a beauty of life together that I have gotten to experience and um and that we all get to experience a belonging um and we're all adopted, like you talked about, no matter what our past is, our shame, our, our family of origin, um, no matter what, okay? No matter what we did, and we're ashamed, we're embarrassed at, or whatever it is. But um, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote The Emotionally Healthy Church or Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, um, said, the great news of the gospel is that your family of origin doesn't determine your future. God does. We're forgiven and freed from the power of sin and shame in our present families, even this week, <laughs> whatever happened, and our present life. Um, we're now filled with God's very life, the Holy Spirit, and are spiritually born again into the family of God. We can experience together God's great love. We belong. We have a place of both significance and security. So um, it might take time to break that, those chains, the bondage of our past, of our family of origin. We, it might take time to really believe in what we're hearing on Sundays or from one another, but um, 
we can be reparented often in the family of God and be transformed by the renewing of our minds together. We're doing this together. Um, so um, just something that um, Kelly reminded me of that in, in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. Let us not give up meeting together, but encourage one another. And that's what we're doing today. So today, um, together we cheer one another on and coach one another on to become who God created us to be. We're all unique. We're individuals. I mean, I look out here and, and I see all these different people that have gifts and talents and some are more out there, some are more hidden. But we're, um, we are peculiar. You know, we are peculiar, but each of us has been created in this way. So, um, so that we can encourage one another to become more and more winsome, more and more lovely over the years older we get. So hopefully, as we grow, we can get more interesting and listen better and all that. Okay. Be more like Jesus. Um, I think the last thing I want to say here is that in uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that, you know, don't be grumbling and complaining with one another, but shine like a star in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so Kelly and I have talked about this where we're just one little star out of myriads of stars out there. Um, but there's a Carrie star and a Matthew star. And, you know, all the stars out here, um, together we shine. And we're not drawing attention to ourselves. We're drawing attention to our, our creators. And anyway. Yeah. No, that, that's really helpful. And I actually love that you use the word peculiar. Yeah, because uh, that came up in our pre-gathering prayer. Like every family's a little bit weird, you know. <laughs> like nobody truly comes from like a normal family, um, and yet at the same time, like I think that's actually good. Like I think we're supposed to sort of like embrace our own peculiar things and our own weirdness. I think there's this like deep driving human question of like where do you mentioned Diana? Like where do I belong? Where can I be myself? And there's all these pressures in all these different places in the world. I, I even see, like, I, every time I see, like, the few middle schoolers we have here, I just think, oh, Lord, have mercy on them. Like, <laughs> middle school is just, like, such a hard time, right? Because at least for, for me in middle school and many other places in life, there's so much pressure to, like, be something that you're not. What you are is not good enough, you know? And so we learn to put on these masks or fake a certain way of being. Uh, and sadly, that, like, that's the culture's thing, but sadly, some of that can leak itself into church mm -hmm. that we think, especially legalistic churches, or if you're in a place where you think you're under the law, or you think you have a certain standard you need to, to meet in order to make God happy. Like if you're stuck in those places, we put up masks and we all have to pretend like we meet this standard or we all look a certain way and we all dress the same way and we all smile the same way, even though we're not happy. And just like, it can just get weird versus saying like, no, you don't do that in a family, you know? When you come together for Thanksgiving dinner, you're just like, yeah, there's Uncle Rick. He's really weird. But like, we all just, we're all here. Like, there's no question that we're all part of the same family and I don't have to fake it. I don't have to like pretend like I'm somebody else. And so this should... Church is supposed to be the place where you come in and let your guard down and just like, oh, thank goodness. This is the place I'm accepted. This is the place that I, that I belong. And, uh, and, but, but that, again, flows out of the cross, the place where like, we don't fake anything for Jesus. We don't have to prove anything to Jesus. We don't earn his love. And when we really grasp the gospel, it frees us up to be, uh, to be a family in the true sense of the word, not in the broken models that Maybe we were raised in or inherited, but the true, a, a true family as it's, as it's supposed to be. And so if you're coming before the Lord as an individual or coming into an expression of the family of God, and you don't feel that, you feel like, I can't be myself, I need to fake that, I, those are things we really have to sort out before the Lord. Lord, why do I feel this way? I don't feel accepted in your presence. I'm really struggling to accept the reality of the gospel. Would you sort that out in my heart? Um, because as the, the reality of the gospel comes to bear on your heart, then it's like, oh, 
it's such a weight off. It's so good to be accepted by God in that way. And then we, we get to do that for one another within the family because he, he needs, he wants, he, he wired you the way that you are on purpose, you know, and we say that and, and maybe it sounds sort of cliche, but like he did that with all your peculiarities so that those would be expressed as, you know, as Paul would say, within the body, as an eye, as a liver, as a toe, as a, all the weird peculiar things we have that need to function together to express the glory of God to the world. But if everyone has a mask up or everyone's trying to have the same gift or look the same way, we really rob ourselves and we rob God of all the things that like he's, he's rescued us in the way that he has so that you're completely free to go and, and do that and be who you're supposed to be within the body of Christ and, and what God wants to do on the earth. So anyhow, thanks for sharing that. Who's next? Sure, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, my name is Matthew and uh, not the only one here, but maybe the only Matthew. Anyway, um, so as I was uh, kind of contemplating these questions, um, I first kind of thought about what it means to be part of a natural family, right? Just the family you're born into and um, what, what that does look like versus what we wish it probably looked like. Um, so I was thinking about that and I even asked my daughter because I was like, you know, Addie, if you know her, she's 10. And so I was just like, what do you think, you know, it means to be a family? Obviously, we're not a perfect family, but what does that mean or um, that sort of thing? And she said, well, it's, it's the people you spend a lot of time with, uh, the people you care about, uh, the people you help out. That was kind of her way of summing it up. And I thought, that's pretty good. Okay, uh, you did my job for me kind of thing. Um, but no, the kind of what I ended up on, two words, one uh, is in common with Diane here, is that sense of be- belonging, right? You, you belong with your family. And that just stems from the fact that you were, you were born into that family. You belong here for no other reason than just that. You're, you're one of us kind of thing. And the other uh, word was connectedness. So the, the struggles that you have, the, the triumphs that you have, all of that, like we're connected to each other in those. So we get to, to share those together. Um, and the way that it, I, I guess I'm prone to alliteration, but uh, it, the blessings and burdens that you carry, um, you're, you're connected to your family with those. So you, you get to share them and share that of your, your parents and your siblings and everybody else. That comes in the form of struggles, wounds, sickness, fears, insecurities, uh, all other sorts of weaknesses and pains. Uh, But he's given us a family to help us bear those with one another. And there is a lot of freedom in that, you know, just knowing that you belong and that you're connected. It it should bring this, this deep sense of freedom. Freedom to just be ourselves, to be goofy and peculiar and, and all of that, um, but also to explore, to grow, to make mistakes, to mature, right? Even at the risk of offending each other, because we know in the end that forgiveness and connectedness and belonging is always there waiting for us on the other side. And nothing's going to change that. At least that's what we would hope, right? It doesn't always play out that way. Uh, in our in our natural families, but that's kind of the dream, right? Like that would be a healthy, you know, ideal family. Man, I would love to to be that, to be a part of that. Um, and I think that's the model for our spiritual families in Christ too, um, to find that freedom and that that connectedness and that belonging. And so each and every follower of Christ does belong to this worldwide family, and we're connected by the cross by. Jesus' saving work. And that's, you know, that's profound. I think too profound for us to capture completely this morning, but that's, that's kind of our attempt. Um, so when we, when we think about being kind of connected by and through the cross, um, I think it should change how we're normally making decisions about who we're spending time with necessarily. Like I think about uh, who I spend time with, who, who my friends are, and, and think about all the things that we have in common, right? And that's, that's usually things that might be a little more 
superficial like hobbies and interests and sense of humor like those are good things right and it can yes. it can naturally bond us right not yeah. to not to put those down like i think those are those are great um but when it comes to the family of god it's it's not the the number of things that we have in common that are necessarily important but it's the the importance of the one thing that we have in common um and that's jesus and his saving grace that's that's brought us together so that will help us to share, like I said, our, our blessings and our burdens with, with everyone. And um, I've got a little more on that, but I think we have a second question coming soon. We will have, soon, a, we will so have I'll, a second I'll question. Of, yeah, yeah, follow up on that here soon. Yeah, you just reminded me when I was in South Africa, I was talking with, uh, there's two pastors there. One is an older pastor. He's transitioning off to a younger pastor. And the younger pastor who's coming in in, in in the transition, they've been getting to know each other and figuring out, you know, a year of overlap on staff before the other one transitions off. And at one point, the younger pastor turned to him and said, if it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would have nothing to do with one another. Uh, like, the, just this recognition of, like, we are so different, you know. Um, but, but that's actually a beautiful thing that, he's, that he said that. I mean, if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, gosh, so I guess you really wouldn't like me or something. I don't know what that means. But... But the reverse is, is true. Like the most important thing about me is the thing I share with you. Um, and so, and I've had that experience coming from uh, a, a family that has, you know, an atheist background. Um, and then I, I can meet people from, you know, Zanzibar or Bangalore or Afghanistan or wherever and instantly have this connection of like, oh my gosh, you and I have the same father. We were, same, we were saved at the foot of the same cross. We had the same Holy Spirit in us. And just the, the deep connection that you have, um, the, like you're saying, it might not be everything, you know, sports and whatever, all the other things we can connect on, but it's the most important things that we have that connect us together. And then the other thing that I love that you said is bearing one another's weakness. And just like a, play, a family is a place where you bear each other's weaknesses. In the culture, it's sort of every man for himself and get your burdens off of me and I don't want anything to do with that. In a family, it's an unspoken thing. Oh, this family member is burdened. The rest of the family is going to come around them. Um, and I don't know how else to say this, but I, I, I think we all feel spiritually ugly a lot of the time. I would say from time to time, but I think it's like our awareness of, you know, like we, I feel that way. And I'm, and I'm, I'm leading, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, and, and so, but I think we all kind of wrestle with that sense of like, I'm spiritually ugly, but I don't think everybody else is like everyone else looks good, but I know my interior state and I know that I'm, that I'm a mess. Uh, amen. Um, and so in a family though, you don't, you don't have to bottle that up. You don't have to suppress that. You don't have to hide that. You just say, here are my weaknesses. Let's bear our weaknesses together. And it is, that is so liberating to be able to do that alongside one another uh, and just, yeah, have those moments of like, whoa, me too. That's, yeah, that's me. So thanks, Matthew. Carrie? Thanks. I'm Carrie Olson. I'm holding this on my chin. Um, <laughs> I was praying and thinking about these questions that Matt gave us, and um, one thing I'll just say off the bat, because it'll make me less nervous, is that, he was like, I don't want you to write, like, I got to write, like, five things down. And I, he's like, I just want to speak from the Holy Spirit. And I have been really emotional hearing everyone speak. And so I just, um, bear with me as, <laughs> uh, through that, because I think he has some really profound things for our church to hear this morning about family. Um, and one of the things that, um, he brought to my heart was, uh, love, um, I learned this morning that love is mentioned in a NIV version of the Bible, love is mentioned over 550 times. And I don't know how many times other words are mentioned in the Bible, but that's a lot. <laughs> um, and I just came down to like, not a big definition of family or um, what that should look like, but just the word love. Um, it came out in, a lot of you know that I am a single foster parent. And that was something I struggled with knowing if I should step into because there's not a father for those children. And God was like, I am their father. Um, and that really taught me about how he's my father <laughs> um, because he made me see it in a much more like physical, tangible 
way um, of the part of the father that he plays in our lives, whether we have, have a lovely father, <laughs> um, but we all may or may not have our fathers on earth, right? Um, or they may or may not be loving. <laughs> um, but that was one example, I guess, I just wanted to share of, of he's a real father. He's not a mystical creature in the sky. Um, he And we can go to him with our weaknesses, right? Just like we can with each other, which I think well, we'll get to in our next question, right? But I'm thinking about like the family that we got to be a part of by him dying on the cross is is inexplainable. Like I I can't explain it, but I would give that example of of this physical example of like I these little children that need you know, should I be stepping into this as someone without a father and he's like I am their father. I am your father. That's how real he is as the father in the family. Um and then I also would say that, um, like an example for me, I always lived, I lived in Montana, my cousins and grandmas and grandpas and everyone, parents, everyone all lived, you know, within an hour of each other my whole life. And then I moved over here, moved in with Brian, and then he moved to Nepal. <laughs> and I struggled with feeling really alone, what we had talked about, some loneliness, and, and God has filled that in such an incredible way of um we you guys were never alone we are never alone no matter what's going on with your family whether they that's um you know emotional anger frustrations or physical distance between you um you always have a family member in god as our father that's fine <laughs> wonderful um Okay, I think we'll transition now into part two. We've been talking about kind of the um, almost more theology or theory of just like how the gospel and God is our father, um, the concept, right? So you, you guys have done a, a beautiful job of bringing out some really helpful concepts of like how to think about the, the thing. The second part of the question is like how do we how do we do the thing? How do we live out now the things that we believe? So I'll, I'll say. How does or should the concept of the biblical family play out in our daily lives? Um, sort of like in the trenches, day by day, it's a Monday morning, it's a Wednesday afternoon. How does this reality that we're all adopted into the same family, um, how, how should that work itself out in everyday life? Just a few thoughts on expression. Um. <laughs> I'm going to share a little bit of my story. Now, my story is a lot longer than these stories here um, because I'm a bit older. But um, I just think the whole concept of God puts the lonely in families is huge. Okay? And it's huge in my life. Um, I grew up in a really solid Christian family, um, and I felt loved at home. But we moved. Two times before I was in grade school, four times in grade school, and two junior high. And finally in high school, I was in the same. So I was always the, the new girl, and my parents feel bad about this. They didn't realize. They thought they were doing the best for the family and moving up and all this kind of stuff. But, um, and awkward and shy. I grew really early. I was, had zits in fourth grade. I mean, this is just pretty awkward and uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and, but then something happened in my family, in my family of origin, that I feel so blessed in, and there's that movie out right now called The Jesus Revolution, and, um, there was the charismatic movement, well, my family was influenced by those two things. My parents in the early 70s were born again, you can say that, into a new life, um, because of what Jesus was doing in our nation. And um, I watched that and I observed it. And it was, it was amazing for me. I was probably late grade school, early junior high when this was happening. They would have home groups in their house. And uh, people from the Catholic church and other churches around would come together in my mom and dad's house. And I would watch them and I would see 
uh, as they worshiped and they prayed and they loved on each other. And I watched my parents in relationships with their other brothers and sisters. And it was pretty profound for me. And I was drug along and I accepted the Lord because of that. I saw them be transformed from kind of a crabby dad into one that was <laughs> totally different. And I mean, he still complained some, but we have these. But, you know, I saw God do something in my dad and my mom. And, and here's just a little aside, but you know that song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice? Well, that first was shared in my mom and dad's living room by a gal that lives in Spokane here, Lori Klein. She says, I just want to tell you about this song that I feel like the Lord gave me. And then it's gone around the world. I mean, maybe you sang it in South Africa this week. I don't know. Yeah, we did actually yeah. sing that. Yeah. yeah, we did in Scotland years ago. I mean, so this is kind of my inheritance, but it wasn't just my mom and dad. It was the body of Christ. Um, so when I was in junior high is when I got transformed. And I went to Gary Junior High, Matt. Yeah. Okay. And it was a rough place. It's really it rough. It is. It still is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so middle school, junior high, whatever it is. And I was straight. Okay. Now, back then, I want to tell you what straight was. Straight was you didn't do parties. You weren't sleeping with the guy. You know, you were, uh, weren't smoking, lighting fires in the bathroom. Okay. I didn't do that. So I was. I was kind of an outcast too, but I found a Christian friend about that time. And then I joined the junior high youth group. Seven weird, quirky, awkward middle school kids. And I belonged. It was my family. And then I was going, I went to summer camp. And I went to, you know, church camp. And I went to high school youth group. And I began to find out who I was. And, and I wasn't always the new girl. I wasn't always the awkward one. Yeah, I still was. You know, we always have that. I still have that in my mind. Um, but I belonged. Um, Jesus was there in the midst of our silliness and our laughter. And that's what it is, you know, when we get together and we're silly and we're fun, no matter what age we're at, 60-some, 12, 13, 14, 17 whatever it is. Okay. In college, I made some poor decisions like maybe a lot of us did, but, but Jesus continued to woo me um, back to him and back to the people of God. And um, so I even got a job at a summer camp and I ended up meeting, which had a lot of Christians in. I met, met Kelly Walton over here. Yeah. <laughs> and so in practice, let's, you know, that was just too long, probably, sharing a little bit about me. But um, in practice, I think those of us that are married, we can practice the body of Christ in our marriage. I'm married to my brother in Christ, okay? He's my best friend. He's, I love him. He loves me. Um, but he sees my sin. He puts up with me. He bears with me, has to forgive me. I have to get, forgive him, believe it or not. But, you know, um, but we are growing in the Lord, and we, we cheer one another on to become the Diana and the Kelly. That we're, and we're raising, we raise three children. We've got grandkids in our life, three grandkids. And um, so we've, we're living life together. Well, that's just one area. Um, another one is in home groups, and I just want to share a little bit about the family of God in home groups and small groups. And I'll just share some from River's Ed. I'm really sad that Ben and Stephanie Grieving aren't here today because I'm going to tell about them. I'll tell you. Okay, a lot of people are sick, I think. Well, anyway, Ben and Stephanie um, asked us to do their premarital counseling even before they were, they just had been dating for a week. It was weird. It's like, I don't know, maybe we should just do it separately for a while. <laughs> they were just eager. But anyway, um, they were in a small group with us for several years, and we watched them minister to people. We watched them give, say, hey, I can help this couple who are struggling in, um, with debt work out finances and do budget. Um, we can help someone get married within 48 hours. I'll help you find a dress, and you, know, you can borrow our stuff. We'll make a music set. 
um, for the wedding. Um, and then Brisa. I don't know if you guys remember Brisa and Caleb. They just got married a year ago. Brisa was in our small group. She needed $800 to go on a summer mission. This is what the body of Christ does. Okay, so I wasn't even here, but Kelly was there the night. And so she just said, you know, why don't we pray and ask the Lord, what are we going to give to Brisa if we can? You don't have to give anything. And then we'll just, you know, write it on a piece of paper and put it in this basket and we'll see how much we get. Well, sure enough, Brisa started picking out $100, $50, $25, whatever it is. $800 was there. This is just, these are young people. They're in their 30s. They were in college. They were not, they were poor. But one guy even said he had a job. He says, I'll cover whatever doesn't get covered. Well, he didn't have to because. <laughs> <laughs> but that same guy was a guy who had been a workmate of mine who was so sad. I was at work. He called my, my other workmate that he knew better and said, I am in a bad place. I need a moral compass. Can I go to your church? And she says, well, I don't think you'd want to go to my church. And I said, well, you could come to mine. And so he started coming. He joined our home group. He met Matt. He, um, he watched Brisa get $100. He, be, he asked questions and he swore at us and said, that doesn't make sense. That makes me angry. He was seeking God, trying to find. And because of the small group, he began to turn to the Lord. And Kelly and I get to, got to do a wedding for him and his girlfriend, fiance, about a very Christian wedding just a couple years ago. Now they have two kids. They're in Boise area. But anyway, um, and then one other cool thing about home group is that our children, all different ages, whatever, over the years were part of our small group. That was their group too. They were part of the worship. They were a part of praying for people, laying hands on people and testimonies. They even invited their friends to home group. You know, one of the parents would go downstairs with the kids so the parents could really have discussion. But we would, you know, but, um, you know, one of our son's friends gave his life to the Lord in our basement. And he was like eight or nine or whatever it was. So children are a part of that. Um, hospitality, spontaneous hospitality, come on over. Make peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, whatever it is. We had two young Whitworth kids that came and would pray with Kelly and another one of his friends when we were first married. And they would just open up the fridge, like at 1030 at night, and say, I'm going to bed. Sorry, guys. And then they'd just keep praying and whatever. Um, we had a neighborhood Christmas party. This isn't just church stuff. It's reaching out to the neighbors. We sang Christmas carols. We, the, pe the people loved it. and. Um, you know, just just talking to people at the mailbox, um, you know, reaching out or whatever it is. Because we're family, we have so much to give. Um, once, you know, Jesus and Mary, Jesus sh told Mary and John he had a specific job for them. He pointed them out as he was dying. He said, I want you to be with him and him to be with you. Okay? And oftentimes God gives us people like that in our lives. And so some of those people, maybe God says, I want you to be with them for a long period of time. I want you to mentor them, or I want you to be mentored by them, okay? Or I want you to have them come into your home, be it a week, be it several years, or whatever it is. Um, and then we, as believers in the body of Christ, join together with those people that are in our home, those broken and hurting people, and we can, as a body of Christ, all minister to that person, not just Kelly and I, because we have somebody in our house, or, or visiting someone in prison. No, Matt, you, you visited somebody in prison. Tracy gave money to this person in the prison, you know, my father-in-law did. So, you know, we're all doing this together, and we can watch Jesus transform people. Pretty amazing. And then the last thing I want to say is that we need to find peer relationships um, who can encourage us, but also mentor relationships that we need to seek out, you know. So um, I just want to show, and we need to make it happen. A lot of us sitting in here are so lonely. We're miserably lonely, okay? 
but we need to we need to make it happen. And are you Caitlin right there? No, over there. What's your name? Cassidy. Okay, maybe it was Cassidy, or maybe it was another person. Caitlin. Maybe it was Caitlin. Okay. Kelly said last week she went to two new guys that were here and said, you look like you're about my age. We're getting together and we're going to have a game night. Would you like to do that? So oh, it wasn't you. It was the other one. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So anyway, she was making it happen. You know, people that come in that aren't, you know, so that's pretty cool to be able to do that. Yeah, thanks, Diana. We're going to have to wrap up in a few minutes, but I still want to hear some thoughts from you guys on just the, you have the most wisdom, Diana, so we need to, yeah. Um, I, yes, I, I admire your restraint. Uh, but maybe if the other two, if you just yeah. want to share sort of briefly, what, are, what does this look like? How do we express the, the reality of this biblical truth? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Try to condense a little bit here, but I don't. I don't have near as much to say. Uh, so, something that kind of guides my thinking again back to my my natural family and all that is the the people that I'm responsible to and I'm responsible for. And so I just kind of thought about that too. What if I adopted that mentality um, with our congregation? You know, being responsible to and for the the people around me, the people of God. Um, and I also just kind of thought about these um, like spheres of influence, if you will, and it kind of made me think of these kind of concentric circles where at the, the heart of it is my, my family. I think God has ordained the family, and, and it is my job to you know, care for them and all that. But beyond that, there's our, our missional communities that we have here, and then the, the congregation here, and then the church of Spokane, and the nation, and, and the world, right? And so as much as we can do to... Um, fill needs and, and influence there to be responsible to and for each other in that way, uh, I think can help kind of play that out. So it's not um, super specific things, but uh, I wanted to share at least a couple of them because um, I really felt along those lines God sort of challenged or called me to better practice bringing my, my blessings and burdens to each other. And I think that some of us are naturally better at one of those or the other, uh, or maybe worse at one than the other, however <laughs> you frame it, right? Uh, oh, no one, no one wants to hear my troubles. No one um, is going to care. You know, I'm too ugly. I can't share that, you know, spiritually speaking. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I just want to encourage you, if, if that's you, if you haven't shared your burdens with anybody in here, please do. Uh, we're we're here to share those with you and to encourage you through them and and do what we can to to lift you up in that. Um, but we can only do that if we are sharing our our blessings, and that means our our skills, our talents, um, just our our maybe our finances when when appropriate, uh, our tools, our you know whatever we have, uh, bringing those as well because God hasn't blessed us simply to enjoy those things and keep them to ourselves, right? God certainly wants us to have, um, you know, spiritual riches and, and blessings that he gives us, but for a purpose of then building up the body. Um, so, yeah, I just want to kind of call you out, all, all of you, to that, not out in, actually, call you into that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's an invitation that um, whichever side of that you you may be feeling right now, you know, I just felt like God wanted me to share that this morning, and maybe I'm talking to one person, I don't know, uh, but if there's a, a burden you have that you haven't shared, um, we're, we're here. If there's blessings you have that you're like, oh, I guess I, I could use those in some way. A lot of times we downplay our, our strengths, our skills, what we have to offer, and I, you know, I want to encourage you through that as well. Just, just bring those to bear for for our body here, this congregation, in, in your small groups, wherever that is, um, and to share some specific, I guess, uh, instances of that. I know I've experienced that from River's Edge. Um, a couple of years ago, my family got COVID. We were really sick, and we were really well cared for, bringing, people bringing us meals, things like that. 
Um, people have offered to drive their trailer to help me haul things and borrowed uh, chainsaws and tools and just getting expertise from people and just also just sharing time together. You know, a lot of you have just opened your homes. We've shared meals together. Um, it's, I, I've seen this play out, you know, and, and so it's, it's not like this new calling that we're not doing it all, but just something that um, if you're new, that, that's the kind of people we are and want to continue to be. And uh, just to recognize that, that we are walking in that. And I, I've so appreciated that over the time I've been here, too. Amen. All right. Carrie, in 30 minutes or less, <laughs> your response to question two. Um, I, I just felt like God speaking while Matthew was speaking that, um, and this is something he put on my heart earlier this week, is I personally just want to say thank you to our church um, with being stuck in my bed for four months. <laughs> um, the amount of love that I felt um, and being, I didn't feel alone. You know, even when my mom wasn't able to be there physically or like the things, just text messages, prayers, people coming by to pray with me, uh, bringing food, um, spending time with my mom because I wasn't fun to be around all the time. And um, I just think he wants to encourage us as a body to keep pushing into that kind of behavior um, because that changed my life. It changed my mom's life. It's changed um very secular workplace um because my coworkers would be there at the same time or after some of you would come by and um the opportunity I see what I went through it was awful but I thank God because it allowed people to come into my life into a home that was filled with his spirit um you guys yes but I'm thinking about the people that don't know him that didn't know him and that maybe would have never come into my house if I wouldn't have been in that vulnerable spot so that was like a very physical vulnerable spot obviously but I think um to further what you guys were saying like if we can be vulnerable and open and I can come up here knowing that I'm going to cry in front of all of you as a way of um welcoming others into that vulnerability and into that love that is um not a masked love it's it's an unmasked unfeathered like free love um and so thank you guys for filling in as brian left um and as it's the first time i've lived without my nuclear family here right but i have never felt like i had a bigger more loving family um and coming to this church four years ago i would say i used to i grew up going to really big churches it's really easy to just like hide in the back at the big churches, right? Like sing the songs, sing along. and <clears throat> Which is one of the reasons we love big churches, actually. Actually, I have a theory that we love, we're afraid yes. of the intimacy. We're afraid of the vulnerability. Yes. We, no, that's where we, that's, we want to hide yes, in the back. That's exactly but. where, I, where what I was going to say is I, I felt an, a false sense of safety there. Like, okay, nobody's going to know my burdens or my weaknesses or my strengths because no one's going to know me. <laughs> Um, I will sing and wave and say hi and be done. And I couldn't do that when I came to River's Edge. And when I came here four years ago, <laughs> I was in a really deep depression. And through all of you guys, like m many other things, but um, prayer, when I didn't want to do it, and I was feeling really shy, shocking, I know. Um, <laughs> at, but some of you women just like gathered around me and we prayed one day and we broke chains. Like we through loving each other and stepping into those vulnerable situations with each other, whether that's in these small groups or in our small church <laughs> or um, in your workplace, like be vulnerable so that other people can feel safe being vulnerable with you. I think that is a huge way of how we love each other as family members. The end. Amen. Uh, yeah, let's give it up for these guys. Thank you so much for sharing. You can go ahead and grab a seat if you want. Um, you can keep that, yeah. I mean, don't take it, don't take it home, but. Um, wow, obviously we're just scratching the surface here and there's so much more um, that we could dig into, but I just want to do one last thing as we close. The worship team, you can go ahead and come back up. Um, but there's been this verse uh, that was on my heart as we were approaching today. It's from 1 Timothy 5. So Paul, sort of a fatherly figure in the church, 
uh, tr- treats Timothy, this younger leader. I actually imagine myself a lot like Timothy. Like, he's younger, but he's called to lead the church. Naturally, he's very timid. He's got these health issues, like this stuff. But Paul's like, get out there, do it. Like, you're called to do this. And Paul says, I, I treated you like a son. Paul's always thinking in terms of family. I've treated you like a son. And he, he writes a letter to him. So he's writing to someone about my age, in my position, and this is what he says. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly or without respect. Oh, I'm in charge, so you just listen to me. We're not going to do that. We're going to do what, because I have this title. No, no, no. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him or encourage him, honor him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And I just think that's such a beautiful image of church. Um, and as, as I was reading that and thinking about that, I was reminded of the, um, Paul, this is also Paul writing. He says, remember in Ephesians 6, he says, remember to, to honor your mother and your father. Honor your mother and your father. This is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And so as we look around the room, we see uh, and hear uh, expressions of family, right? Uh, that's like one part of the silver lining of like always being able to hear the kids. It's like, oh yeah, we're a family and there's like dozens of kids here and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. But I want to take a moment as we close to honor our mothers and our fathers. Uh, We live in a culture where um, sort of peak humanity in the Western world is like a sexually attractive 22-year-old single person who can do what they want and could be on the cover of a magazine. That's peak humanity for us. And everything else goes downhill from there. Everyone's fighting to get back. How do I look like that or feel like that or whatever else? Like we've lifted that up as like, here's peak human, um, which is very, very different than what the Bible says. The Bible says, oh no, like gray hair is glory. The person who has followed Jesus through the decades, um, those are the people that you you lift up, that you honor, that you say, I want to be like that when I grow up, not the 22-year-old whatever. So we actually have to overcome that idol in our culture, this idol of youth, uh, and and sort of recenter ourselves on the the biblical uh, storyline. So what I want to do uh, and hopefully this doesn't embarrass anyone, but if you're a woman here who's, um, over fi- who's 50 or older, could you just stand up so that we can see you? I know that's taboo that I'm like singling you out because of your age. Um, yeah, let's clap for them. I just want to take a moment for you younger people and the teenagers and the middle schoolers. And- no, stay standing, please. Yeah, you're not, you're- I'm not letting you off that easy. Um, But I just want to have a moment where we see them and just say, church, here are your mothers, right? People who have have been following him through the decades, the people whose whose care, in a sense, uh, we come under. We want to honor you. Now, if you're a man over 50, can you stand as well, 50 or older? Okay, same thing. Church, young people, single, married, whatever, here are your fathers. There's these people who are faithfully following Jesus who are to father us and mother us. Uh, And so before we start worship, maybe the rest of us, uh, if you feel comfortable, could you stand and just kind of go and put a hand on one of these people and we're just going to pray for them and we're going to bless them and we're going to honor them as we close. As a church, we're saying we need you. Uh, And for those of you who I embarrassed by making stand up, I I want you to see the people around you and just hear the voice of Jesus saying, here are your sons, here are your daughters, here are your brothers, here are your sisters. So if you feel comfortable, go ahead and lay a hand on one of those people. uh, And we're just going to take a moment to pray for them. Jesus, thank you for rescuing us out of darkness and into your beautiful light, for rescuing us out of Adam and bringing us into Christ, uh, for rescuing us out of radical individualism and giving us the very thing we most deeply desire that is family. And we want to take a moment, Lord, to honor 
our fathers and mothers in the faith to honor those uh, people who are um, out front, really, uh, in the race, chasing after you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And as we lift them up to you, we affirm uh, the value that they have. Lord, the world says the older you get, the less value you have. We're reversing that script in the biblical, in, in light of what scripture says. That these are actually the people that hold the most wisdom, who have the most to teach us. These are the people at whose feet we want to sit. So Lord, I pray that they feel seen in this moment, that they feel honored in this moment, that you would uh, embolden them, Lord, to be the fathers and the mothers that we need. I need fathers in the faith. I need mothers in the faith here. So I pray, Lord, that you would um, bless them and keep them. Would you fill them with your spirit? And would we be a people who see them, honor them, and want to learn from them in the years and the decades that lie up front? In Jesus' name, amen.